encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. to another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams. Uh, Holly Questel is here with me today, as well as special guest, Mark Kastner. Uh, you will know him from Sounder at Heart and the Liverpool Offside, um, most notably for this podcast, the Liverpool Offside. Um, Mark, how many other Man United podcasts do you think are willing to talk with a Liverpool fan on this Monday? Uh, probably not very many, and I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to just talk about the Sounders for an hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Given what we witnessed on Sunday. Yeah. And Saturday. I mean, the Sounders played really well. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was a good weekend for me. But yeah, um, Manchester United with a historic Premier League loss at Anfield. Liverpool uh, winning 7-0. Uh, six second half goals and one just before halftime. Cody Gakpo got two, which uh, really felt like rubbing it in. And then Mo Salah got one. Or got, I think got a brace. felt like rubbing it in. Yeah. <laughs> Sala, Nunez, <laughs> Gakpo all getting two goals and then bringing on Firmino for like a testimonial appearance and Firmino scoring. Yeah, like every single goal was rubbing it in. Yeah. Um I, I mean do, how, do we want to like do we want to watch back the goals so they're fresh or you guys I've seen them so many times today, Mark. Don't worry. But, but that's no, that's a good question. Um, I, I said to Colin yesterday, tell Mark he's not coming on the pod unless he is fully gloating. Oh, okay. I mean, I was I was gonna be a little reserved, but if uh, <laughs> if you're asking for it, then <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we deserve it. So when we recorded, what was it Friday? We did our last episode. We talked about this game. We were like. Cautiously optimistic because, you know, obviously Man United have been in a, a decent run of form. They also haven't won at Anfield since, or in the, yeah, they haven't won at Anfield at all since Wayne Rooney scored that really late goal in the game that seemed like it should have finished nil-nil in 2016 under Louis van Gaal. So um, it was definitely one you would maybe expect Man United to turn up for, but uh Apparently, it seemed it was one that Liverpool were using as the um, catalyst for what they hope to do the rest of the season. Um, Mark, uh, how I know you said you you were predicting, or you texted me that you predicted Liverpool would win three one. Um, were you happy that that prediction was wrong? Uh, yeah, I'm really happy it was wrong. And you may think that it's because of it was more than three. But I think the thing I'm most happy about was the zero. Um, And I'm sure we'll kind of get on to it. I know, um, I know like Manchester United fans are like trying to cope this morning and and even into this afternoon about like the seven being kind of lucky. And I'm, I'm sure there's a degree to that, which it is, but the zero was very much not luck. That was very much Liverpool dominating Manchester United's game plan. And that was really uh, the thing that I was most happy about. I mean, obviously things got a little out of hand in the second half, and uh, so did I at the bar I was at. But, uh, (laughs) I mean, all that's good and fine. But, uh, you you know, particularly the two center backs and the goalkeeper did not let things get out of hand. And um, that that is, I believe, five straight Premier League um, clean sheets, uh, four of those being wins. And obviously, it should be uh, mentioned that, <clears throat> speaking of getting out of hand, there was a Real Madrid game somewhere in, in there that uh, was just kind of ridiculous as well. But, yeah, I th- I mean, I'm really happy with, with uh, the scoreline. <laughs> yeah, I think United fans are making every and any narrative under the sun, a lot of which are the usual ones that you see whenever a loss like this happens, like the players don't care and the players gave up and the players weren't trying we need a new captain discourse yeah, already need, happening that again. one that one is like clockwork we need a new yeah. captain um bruno fernandez had a really bad game bruno yeah fernandez. i don't i don't know where this like narrative came about that he has to be subbed off i'm sure i think gary neville said it but i don't like i don't know what happened 
Um, but he sure as hell looked like he was trying to get to the locker room as quickly as possible, even during the second half. You know half. what, though? I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him yeah. because, if, as people say, like, it looked like the players gave up. And if you look at the sixth goal, how nobody picks up Mohamed Salah, like, I can understand certain players somewhat giving up in, in a situation like this, like Bruno Fernandez, where you're frustrated and it is – it's gone on too long and you're out there on the left wing where, which is not your position. You you can't impact the game or anything. Mo Salah just walks past Tyrell Molassia and, and Scott McTominay and just pounds a rebound into the net. Like Scott McTominay had no interest in picking him up. And like, he's just standing there. And at the very last minute, he throws a leg out. It's like, you can't come off the bench yeah. and not give a shit. I, I get think- it. Like Bruno Fernandez. I get it because the first person to give up on this game was Eric Ten Hag when he took out United's best players and said, that's it. We're done here. Let's get you guys off the pitch because we lost this game and who cares? Like, I don't give a, I don't give a crap if it's five nil or if it's seven nil or if it's eight nil or nine nil, either way you get zero points in the standings. And and if, if that's true, if it's one nil and if you if United are going to miss out on the Champions League this year because of goal difference, then a lot of other things have gone wrong that you, that like the difference between four, five, nil and seven, nil is whatever. So like if I'm Bruno Fernandez, who has given like, who's played like every minute since the world cup. Yeah. I'd be a little annoyed. It'd be like, Hey, you're taking off Casemiro and you're taking off Alessandro Martinez. Like take me off too. I should get a break. <laughs> like you're, you're taking them off in a strategic move of being like, let's save their legs because we got a lot of matches coming up. Save my legs too. So I have an interesting question. When do you think the giving up started? Cause I have an answer and I think I, I think you'll probably disagree with me. I was way later than most people are saying. It, okay. It really... I, I think it. I think the second goal kind of did everybody's heads in. Yeah, I mean the way to start the second half. Um, I I will say the third goal was where I was like, "This is." They were three minutes ugly. apart, so it's hard. It's yeah. like really yeah. hard. It's like but the third goal is where that... I knew it was going to get ugly. Um, and I knew that that wasn't going to be the last goal. The second goal, I was, I was still thinking, you know, the two goal deficit. The half just started. This has kind of happened to United before where, you know, they 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 kind of switch off at the start of the second half before they really get going. But uh, yeah, the third goal for me was where it all was. This The second goal was hilariously bad because some, a cacophony of things went wrong. And at one point, Casemiro steps in, wins the ball back, but doesn't win the ball back. And Liverpool somehow retained possession of it. Go back. Then Rafael Varane steps up and wins the ball. Like, wins the challenge, wins the ball, somehow doesn't win the ball back. And and then the ball ends up in the back of the net. The third And, and the third goal, this is what happens to United. It, it, it's actually remarkable how similar the games played out. This is what happened against Brentford. Is the, Against Brentford, the third goal was a set piece. And... The, the fourth goal was a goal off of a United set piece. And against City, the same thing happened on the third goal. It was just a straight counterattack right after conceding the second goal. And um, is that's what happened. Like they, they then conceded a set piece, uh, a goal off of their own set piece. And that's when the message went out from Tenog. Like Tenog's response to that, who after Diogo Dalot had been getting cooked the entire first half and he leaves him out there in the second half and his response in the 55th minute being like, you know, what's going to solve this game, Scott McTominay and Alejandro Garnacho. And it's like, Hmm, that's not going to do it. Like, and do you think that just kind of speaks to like this squad, the squad that you have, isn't quite where it needs to be, to be competing on the levels that, you know, some United fans thought they were at already. hundred percent. Yeah. But okay. You also like we just watched uh Real Madrid go to Anfield and just dominate Liverpool and dominate the midfield. And we've seen or maybe not dominate, like Mark Shaker things, said. Things but, just got out of hand. Things yeah. got out of hand. And yeah. um snowball effect. Yeah, and, and we saw and part of the reason that it that happened is because Liverpool's midfield is like old and can't move. And it's there for the taking. And you've got Casemiro and Fred and Bruno Fernandez who are going to provide that kind of energy that they should be able 
to control the middle of the of the pitch in this game. Like never before in the last six years has Liverpool's midfield been there for the taking the way it is. Mm-hmm. And we put Wout Weghorst there. And like what and like right there, you gave up all control of the game and you gave up all control of being able to mount attacks. Your best creator is out on the left side. Marcus Rashford is just running and marked by two center backs who just take him completely out of the game. Right there, like it was just like how what what is our plan here? That to then be like, oh, the the problem was Fred and uh I mean Veghorst was a problem, but but now you're bringing like Garnacho doesn't seem like he's going to be the solution in this type of game. Like he very much felt like the moment was bigger than him. Um, even though at three nil, that is the right time to just throw on an 18 year old and be like, let's see what you could do. Zero expectations. But those changes didn't inspire confidence. And I think that that settled down into the team. Like then they conceded a goal on a set piece and, um, or I think the fourth one was when McTominay went sliding in and, Blocked the pass, but blocked it right back to Liverpool, and then yeah, I mean, that was going to that <laughs> was going to end up in a goal anyways. Yeah, because um, if he didn't if he didn't block that pass, it was going uh, right out to Harvey Elliott, who was just like completely unmarked. So yeah, yeah. and then and then once you take off with Sandro Martinez and um, and Casemiro, that that's just telling your team like, hey, I'm saving these guys. It, it's over, and and why wouldn't why would you? keep going. I know, I know that's not the answer that a lot of fans are going to hear and they're going to be very insulted, but like the way I see it is uh, like, if you watch tennis, if Rafael Nadal is playing a major, if Rafael Nadal is playing in a major and he gets broken early on in the first or second set, uh, like he's not fighting to battle back and try to win that set. He's like, go ahead, win that set six, two. I'll just beat you in the next set. Like, and he mails it in and just goes, I'm going to save my energy. So like, yeah, if you're the players, I could see the same thing happening. Once the manager is being like, I'm taking off the good players and putting out players who are getting overrun. Yeah. I, I know a lot of the talk, um, especially from pundits going into this game was Marcus Rashford versus Trent Alexander Arnold. And we only really saw one Didn't instance. See it. <laughs> yeah, we only really saw one instance where Trent had to defend Rashford. And it was because he was covering for a center back that was out of position and he won the tackle. And he won a penalty. <laughs> Trent Alexander Arnold fouled him in the box. It was offside. Um, but well, yeah, it's like, I mean, it was like six yards offside and he still oh, yeah, caught no, it. No, it wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that they should have called the penalty. I am saying yeah. that in that situation, the one time they had it, Trent Alexander Arnold was beat and fouled him. And it makes you wonder, hey, why didn't we try to get him in that situation more than once? Well, I think Eric Tanag was maybe trying to, like, be clever there. Because normally his trick is to switch Rashford to center forward later in the game. Um, You know, when Vaughn comes off for another creator like Jaden Sancho or Garnacho to play on as, like, the left-sided forward. Um, we, We already talked about... Vaughn I don't really think he's cut out to play in these sort of games. I think he's been a really useful player for Manchester United uh, over, you know, the last stretch of games. And they don't have another striker, really, unless they're going to play Marcus Rashford there. But playing him at number 10 against Liverpool just, it, it kind of baffles me. Especially when you want yeah, somebody was... like Bruno Fernandes to kind of tr- contribute the energy to that midfield battle. I was talking to Brent after the game and he was just like, it's in a game like this where you really miss Anthony Martial. And he was like, we, you know, you get mad at Martial for all these various reasons. Like he doesn't follow his runs or make the runs or anything, but he's like, but in a game like this, he's like, you just see the value in having a player that the ball just sticks to. And when you get it, then when you try to get the, get him the ball, he can make it stick there for a second or two and like give, give you the time for other things to happen. And I'm like, yeah. And, he he's a great like target man. He just doesn't appear to be a target man because if you hoof it up to him, he's not going to win the header. But Val Weghorst doesn't win headers either. So yeah, it it just really goes to show how how much they miss him. And and yeah, when he plays, I, I think Veghorst as a like I just don't think Rashford is Veghorst isn't exactly the type of striker to get Rashford involved on the left side which i think contributes to why he plays strike like why he tries to put him in the middle i also think the reason that he's trying to play rashford at striker is a lot more cynical i think it i think marcus rashford is injured 
And Eric Tenog is trying to reduce the amount of running he has to do to keep him on the field. Well, that would be a bummer because um, this would not be the first time we've had to finish the last two or three months of a season with an injured Marcus Rashford. Well, we know we know he got hurt against City, and Ten Hag told him at halftime, like, I have to take Martial off, so we're going to put you on. We're going to keep you on. And he said, don't run as much, and he moved him to, to striker. We know he got hurt again right before the League Cup final, and yeah, I tweeted during the League Cup final, like, yeah, he'll probably score now because I'm saying this, but like something's off with Rashford. Like this is not a fit Marcus Rashford. He wasn't tracking back defensively. He he just didn't look like himself. He was rested for what, 65, 70 minutes against West Ham and he came on and was not particularly noticeable in that match. It it just seems like he's trying to reduce the amount of defensive um, responsibilities that he's given a Rashford and prevent him from like running up and down the pitch. And it's probably because that ankle's not a hundred percent. That would make sense. Making not wanting him to have to be on the side that, uh, Trent is on. Cause it, <clears throat> as Colin alluded to, there was a lot of discussion about that, but all that discussion was one way. It was about Trent's defensive abilities. But I think the flip side of that is you have to have a winger that, uh, is capable of marking um, maybe one of the best passers in the game. And that's really difficult to do, as uh, we've seen very often. Yeah. So, Mark, what, I, I know we've we've talked about, you know, Liverpool's midfield, and um, we, I've, I've talked to both you and Polly at different occasions in the past about um, kind of the age of Liverpool's midfield and where midfield has ranked in their kind of refreshing squad refreshing uh, over the last couple seasons. Um, do you think this is kind of turning a corner back to what they used to be? Because I mean, Fabinho had probably his best game since his injury last season. Um, I think. Uh, yeah. I, it's this or the Newcastle game, but both of those were in the last like three weeks. So uh it, you know, pick one really. Uh, but yeah, I think like this game kind of simplified, um, simplified what needs to happen in the summer. I don't think by any means, uh, does Jordan one Henderson game... played incredible. You should yeah. run that back. So, uh, I'll kind of get to that in one second, but I think it kind of simplifies the ask or sort of what needs to happen in the summer. Um, the, the, the foundation, the plan, the sort of like, you know, tactical ask of the midfielders still works clearly. It's you just have to have the the bodies and the people to be able to do it. And I think Liverpool needs to probably add two, maybe three midfielders, depending on uh, Stefan Bicecic. I think I said that correctly. Depending on his further development, um, which I think we'll hopefully see a lot. I, I want to see him play at least 10 of the remaining 13 Premier League games. Um, so there's that, you know, the names, all that kind of other people talk about that. Obviously there's Jude Bellingham. There's several midfielders that profile pretty well to fit into what Liverpool need. However, um, I think you basically saw that you can, you can get the best out of Jordan Henderson when he doesn't play a lot. <laughs> Which is you know super crazy to talk, think when you're talking about the Nemanja rules. Yeah, when you're talking about a guy who's almost 33 and he's played a bazillion minutes under Klopp, he's probably uh, I don't think this is going to be that much of a hot take, but he's probably been Jurgen Klopp's most important player over the course of this um, this five or six year run, which is kind of crazy to say when Mo Salah broke Liverpool's Premier League scoring record on Sunday. Um, passing Robbie Fowler. Um, but yeah, I, I think like if you can kind of like get, if you can kind of transition Jordan Henderson into what the James Milner role has been and get some fresh legs, like I thought Harvey Elliott was one of the three best players on the field on Sunday. And he's like, he's played every single game for Liverpool in every, every single competition this year. He's the only player to do so. Um, and I think the faith that Jurgen Klopp's kind of entrusted into a teenager, he's only 19 still, um, is starting to pay off because 
I I was actually kind of, when I saw Elliot's name on the team sheet on Sunday, I was like, ooh, I don't know. I would have maybe gone. I would have gone with somebody a little bit more robust because he is pretty small. But um, the flip side of that worked out really well because he was playing on a side where the opposition winger was just not interested in doing anything. So he was able to kind of float out into that mid that middle space between Trent and Mosala, and he just like played super well. So um, I don't think. I don't think like anybody in the boardroom or whatever, I don't think Jurgen Klopp's going, you know, going back into the locker room after that game and being like, you know what, I don't I don't need to refresh the squad. But I think they are thinking in terms of it is a what what that game did do was say it's a refresh and it's not a rebuild, like a lot of people have been talking about. And it's all I think it's always been that way, even at Liverpool's low points this season. It was always, you know, we're maybe two or three bodies away from kind of being back at that elite level. But a lot of people are talking about it in terms of like six or seven bodies. And I just don't think that that's ever been true. Yeah. I think that's what he built the team with that in mind of like, we're going to build this team. And then we don't like, and that's kind of anybody who has a long-term plan doesn't want to, Hey, let's build something. And then in a few years, tear it down and build it again. It's you want to just, it's just upkeep. And yeah, people, people online, people have been talk about crazy things. So (laughs) right. And people, like people want to, it's always about the here and now and the right, the right this second. So when you buy a uh, Darwin Nunez and go, okay, we're going to start transitioning the team away from a Bobby Firmino false nine thing to now having a focal point center forward, that's going to take time. Darwin Nunez is going to settle, is going to have to settle in. You might not have all the players that you need around there. There might be a player that's coming in next year who's going to help go in, in that direction. And and suddenly everybody goes, oh, he's off to a terrible start. And it's like, now you need to adjust and buy a new striker and, and pivot in this way. And it's like, no, you just sometimes you just need to stay the course. And you bring in a Cody Gakbo. And once you start to figure it out, then yeah, like you said, like it's only a matter of a few players. This is what I just wrote last week was like Tenog did not have to undertake a rebuild at United. Like this was a good team that he inherited. It, it was a good team that needed to become better. It had one big problem. He got rid of the problem, restored that good team as your baseline, and then said, right, now let's make you guys better. Let's improve it. We, we brought in a few other players, made some upgrades here, changed some tactics around, um, but also incorporated previous things that were done because those players thrive in, with those with those conditions. And that's really what, yeah, like as as I think my criticism of Liverpool has been like, have they waited a year too long to phase yeah. some guys out? And did that slow the, is that going to slow them down? Like Mohamed Salah is coming to the end of his peak years, but at the same time, like maybe he drops off next year, but maybe Darwin Nunez next season is ready to pick up the slack. And, you know, suddenly Salah scores 12 goals in the season, but it's offset by Nunez scoring 22. Yeah. And I think like you kind of look at, you can, you can see the vision of, um, where the kind of forward line is at. Um, I thought, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, it was like a really beautiful sort of like narrative to see Darwin score two and Cody Gakpo score two. Um, and then for Salah to score his two. And then you, you have, as you said, like the testimonial aspect of Roberto Firmino just this week announcing that he's going to leave this summer. Um, and, you know, he watched three forwards score goals before he came on that he influenced all of them. Um, you know, he, without Roberto. No, but, Firmino, like yeah. I, what I said yesterday was I think Roberto Firmino has been directly involved in every point we've gotten at Anfield or against Liverpool in the last six years, because he has missed so many chances time and time again in, in some of these games. Yeah. And, and, and I think like, I think that's always going to be a conversation about Bobby. I'm not really ready to have that yet because he's still here and I just haven't really thought about it. Um, but he's missed a lot of chances. One, you know, one sort of crit- criticism about Darwin Nunez is he misses too much, which I don't, I don't think it's true. He has the same number of big chances missed as early in Holland. And that seems to be working out just fine for that robot. So um I think there are other criticisms. Well, the players that get the most chances are going to be the ones that get the most chances. Yeah. So I think you're seeing like, 
you're seeing where Klopp wants his forward line to evolve. Um, you also saw kind of the future of the defense against United with that's that's uh, Kanate and kind of Van Dyke, and I thought they were amazing. Um, they've only ever lost one game that they've started together, and I'll just go ahead and like not talk about which game that was. Um, it was the Champions League final last year, um, but. Yeah, I like they did maybe wait a little too long. Like they were they were going after uh Tuchimeni in the summer, but he just like he just wanted to play for Real Madrid and when a player wants to play for Real Madrid, they usually We've end been up there. Playing. Yeah, it's like there's <laughs> there's criticisms across the board. Like ev- everybody's heard them by now. They probably should have signed a midfielder. But I also think like the extent to which these current players have kind of dropped off a cliff after a season of playing literally every game available to them, a season with a mid-season World Cup, and just kind of some like freak injuries that you should account for, but you can't really. It's just um it's just kind of incredible the extent to which things have gone wrong. But on the flip side, when you win 7-0 against your biggest rival with 13 games to go in the season, top four is in touching distance, finishing third is in touching distance. I think that's like, I think the worst is behind us. And there, and there is a, there is a path forward because it wasn't just the 7-0 against United. It was the 2-0 against uh, Newcastle. It was even the 0-0 against Crystal Palace, which at the time I was very upset about. And if you go back and read everything I wrote about that game, I was kind of over the top. And, uh, you know, I would kind of take some of those things back. But the manager just needed a little bit of time with all of these players being healthy, and they finally are all healthy. And it's paying off, I think. I think there's a big point that you made, though. This is a team that went and played the maximum number of games last season. They are a little bit on the, they do skew a bit older. Um, and they is a, a style that is draining, that is physically yeah. draining. They run a ton. And for a United fan, that should be worrisome because Manchester United are currently on pace to play more games than Liverpool did last year. Yeah. Which Again, like Liverpool played the maximum, but because United didn't win their Europa League group, they got bonus. They got a gift, two extra games there. Um, and who I, do, do you know who had the uh, who had the older starting eleven in yesterday's match? Uh, I do, but that's because uh, that's because Colin texted me it. Yeah, so I sent him the thing it. that you sent. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool, who have gotten very old very quickly and got too old suddenly had the younger starting 11 than Manchester United. And like who's coming into this team that makes it may, uh, Valt Veghorst, maybe Martial comes in for Valt Veghorst, but otherwise that's pretty much the first choice team. Uh, maybe Christian Eriksen, but that would be even older. If Christian Eriksen was fit, maybe he plays instead of Fred, but that's an even older team. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know who uh I mean maybe Sancho could play. Yeah. On one of the wings. I like, mean Sancho yeah. could play, but Sancho there's, there's instead something... of Vic Horse would make it younger, but that's still like uh, I think that's still like, you know, accentuates the striker problem that we currently have. Um right. let alone the midfield of you know, we're kind of in a panic situation if anyone else goes down at this point because Ericsson's not back until April. Late April, right? And but it's also that. who are you targeting this summer? Because we're we're back on to talking about Frankie De Jong. Like Frankie De Jong's twenty seven years old. That that's yeah, that's a little bit younger than Fred. But um, and he's played a lot. Like he's played a lot. He's played since he's he's a played teenager. a lot. But yeah. but it, that's a little bit younger than Fred. That's a a ton in wages, and like it's still highlights yeah. the problem that this team doesn't have any midfielders between the ages of eighteen and twenty seven. Uh, kind of an interesting perspective uh, that I'd like, or an interesting question that I'd like to get your perspective on uh, is uh, Rio Ferdinand, who I don't know what your opinion on him is. And if you think he's an idiot, we can just move on. Great player, bad pundit. Okay. All right. All that's right. that's good. Talk. All right. 
that's a blanket statement for every United. Every, player yeah, every United there, player, with pundit. the exception <laughs> of sometimes Gary Neville. Sometimes Gary Neville's awful, and sometimes he's okay. So he said two things that were really interesting to me in the build up to this game. And now that I know kind of what you kind of think about him, I kind of know where this is going to go. But um, he was talking about Jude Bellingham and like what his advice would be for Jude Bellingham. Um, uh, and he basically said, like, if you look at where Liverpool's at and you look at where Manchester United's going, they're going in two opposite directions. I think that's obviously. Oh, I remember when he bullshit. said that. And he was like, I would, I would sign, I would sign yeah. for United. But do you think? Like, but like, you would have said that last. If you would have, if any player last summer, you would have said, yeah. "Well, look at where the two clubs are." I would sign for Liverpool and not United because it's like these things change so quickly. Yeah, but that's basically my question. Is like, because personally, I think what happened on Sunday is you still there is a gulf between these two clubs. There still is one. Like it, it is. Uh, I think Ten Hag's a great manager. He's the perfect manager for where United's at. If he can continue to uh, do what he's allowed to do, which previous Manchester United managers under current ownership have not been allowed to do, and I'm sure you guys have talked about that at length on different episodes. But I like if you're if you're saying Manchester United's problem is midfielders, and I'm also saying Liverpool's problem is midfielders there's only so many good midfielders out there right like what what's gonna ha- like what are you gonna do if if liverpool is the first choice team i mean I, I know it's i know it's a little bit more complex because players like we just talked about too many he wanted to play for real madrid so that happened like what what do you guys do in that situation where we can't get jude bellingham um not, it's not even necessarily jude bellingham yeah. because I don't know if Liverpool's going to sign Jude Bellingham, but I do know they need to sign three midfielders. And it kind of sounds like United also need to sign at least two. And, you know, Casemiro's yeah. as old as I am. So, uh, well, that's that's what we did last year is we just pivoted and said, oh, let's sign someone really good, but at the end of their career. Um, what are you going to do? Is you going to sign Tony Cruz? <laughs> Luka Luke Modric. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are bad, there are good midfielders out there. And it's like, the fact of the matter is every single season we look around and we go, Oh, look at that guy. He's, he's good. Where did he come from? And it's, so it's like, they exist and you, you got to find them. And it's, I know we say this and like, uh, I think, I think it was Aaron Moniz who tweeted it last week about Moises Caicedo and basically how Brighton beat everybody to the punch on this guy and how, like the, the talents are out there and people just need to recruit better. It's that's such a simple thing to say, but like the whole thing is, especially when it comes to South Americans is sometimes these things get decided by really dumb things. Like who do you know? And are you talking to the right person? Like Moises, like Caicedo, that instance, like United were linked to him and there were rumors. And then it turned out they, they like, bailed on him because they said we don't know who to talk to they were like we we have so many people reaching out to us claiming that they represent this player um that there's it's so many of a network thing like the reason that so many of these guys find like that benfica and sporting lisbon and porto keep finding these guys is because is there are people in south america that kind of funnel these guys to portugal um and it's a lot of shady stuff and it's a lot of they they funnel them to Portugal because they go you'll go to Portugal you'll be good Benfica is going to sell you and that money is not going entirely to Benfica it's kicking back to to other places and that's that's like part of it is that these guys are being in like agents are getting to these players when they're 14 15 years old and promising them the world and they're they're partially steering the conversation. So if if you're a 19 year old kid in Manchester United are reaching out to you and being like, "There's an opening in our midfield. You're good enough, so you're going to play." Like, all right, maybe you're not going to start every match next year, but you're going to make 20 starts, and in two years you're going to make 30 or 35 starts. These guys are basically being like, mm, "You should go to Brighton, or you should go to this other club," because then in three years. Manchester United or Real Madrid will have to pay a lot more money to get you. And that money is coming back to them. And 
so it, it's not as simple as, um, you know, just work harder and find these players, but also like work harder and find, like figure <laughs> out a way of how you can get, uh, you can, you can identify talent and, and learn who to speak to, like expand your networks. Like I say, like one of the reasons that Ten Hag goes through people in the, like kept signing players from the Netherlands. One of the reasons that Jesse Marsh was signing American players is it comes down to like, they know who to talk to, to get those guys. And like, <laughs> it makes it so much easier. And United are also in the situation of the Glazers have no idea whether somebody's going to offer them the absurd money that they want for a full takeover or whether they're going to end up going with some partnership with like the Elliott group, who I, I think that was the, investment group the one that I, I think one of the people in that group used to own ac milan um but they're the group that's kind of like will back the glazers and you know give them more loans and things like that if they wanted to keep the club um and until then they're not really in a position to you know spend the kind of money it would take to bring in the midfield reinforcements they need um in january they they looked at Joao Felix and they couldn't even afford the loan fee that Chelsea were going to put up to get him in. So Joao Felix went to Chelsea instead and United had to settle for Vat Weghorst and then Marcel Sabitzer as kind of an emergency loan deal. Um, I don't think they had to pay too big of a fee, but they did cover his whole wages. Um, and part, I think the reason they were able to do that is because Ronaldo handed them an out back in October with that interview. Um they're just really, really tight right now. I think Lori Whitwell described it as the credit card is maxed out. Um, yeah, so. it, it's like Mark said, like Ten Hag is the perfect person for doing this and like would thrive if he's allowed to do what he's doing. And Mark said, as Mark said, previous managers have not been allowed to do that, which is not so much an ownership thing so much as a financial regulations thing. Like Jose Mourinho spent a ton of money in his first year and then spent a ton of money in his second year and not even factored into that money was the swap deal between Mikitarian and Alexis Sanchez that in year three, whenever it was like, they stopped backing him and it was like, actually they couldn't spend any more money. Otherwise they would have been running afoul of financial fair play laws. Like they've been, which they've we've later found out they don't matter. <laughs> right. right. But, but well, during, during that time that they very much matter. Yeah. It's not even that it's, it's, Teams, who are the teams that decided, hey, we don't care about this? It's the oil teams. Yeah. All the other teams, like whether they matter or not, whether City get punished or not, is all the other owners are agreeing to, to play by these rules and saying, we don't want to go afoul of these rules. That's our choice. Yeah. Maybe if we did go afoul of these rules, we would get away with it, but it's not worth the time and the money, uh, you know, the legal teams the, the, to well, fight that. I mean, that they are going to stay complicit in that. And, and the same uh, similar thing happened with Solskjaer in his second year where like you're dealing with COVID and United suddenly are like, we can't spend all this money in the summer because like your spent your summer spending is borrowing against your future revenue. And United were like, we don't know if fans are coming back. Like we don't know what our future revenues are going to be. Typically you do. Your revenues are pretty finite. And, and that's kind of the issue here in that even with a new owner is your revenue is pretty finite that United already know that they borrowed against their summer budget last year. And that kind of makes it hard to then spend money this summer. Like as Colin said, the credit card is fully maxed out. We're also to the point, I mean, getting back to your original question where all of the upcoming midfielders that I knew about have basically moved. So I, I like Eduardo Camavinga, Aurelian Chiumeni, like you mentioned, uh, Jude Bellingham's kind of the one left that I'm not sure about. I do know that. Uh, oh, I think you. I, I think you guys are going to sign Declan Rice. I think that's what will happen. Oh, oh, oh! I might kick you off for that. I just oh, don't no, know. Like, I'm I don't know where else you would go. So I can't. <laughs> oh, I, that's... that's not. I'm not speaking to his like abilities or anything. He's, just, he's fine. It just, it just he's, seems he's like good, that's but like he's deluxe Scott McTominay, and it's like you don't need. Deluxe Scott McTominay. Um, that's not what's going to make or break this team. God, oh no. Uh, the other thing is that, like, we've learned is that we're not, we're all not, uh, and I mean, 
we shouldn't we should already know this this should just serve to be like another reminder but like we're all not as smart as we think we are like if we go back to the covid days when everybody had nothing to do but like sit around on the on the internet and analyze players and it's like yuri telemans was a big name that we were trying to sign that summer and like he's kind of maxed out and done nothing there's been a bunch of other midfielders both, that, like both leicester's midfielders that everybody wanted are probably yeah, gonna leave on freeze there's <laughs> been a couple others that like went to uh lower teams and and everybody was like how did how did everybody allow this to happen and like we haven't heard from them since and it's like turns out like uh teams did, like remember uh my friend and I were just discussing this uh, like last week. But, like, remember how everybody was like, "Wow, United should poach Todd Cantwell," and Liverpool were like, "Todd Cantwell is going to walk into our starting 11. I'm like, "Where's Todd yeah. Cantwell now?" Like, nobody's taking. Why has nobody come in for Norwich, Todd Cantwell? Like, there's a reason. Norwich loaned well, him back to a Championship team last year while they were in. The yeah, Premier like League. <laughs> there's a reason that nobody has come in for Todd Cantwell. I mean, you guys can have Nadi Keita if you want. Right. Okay. Sp- yeah. sp- speaking of everybody thinking they're smarter than people who run football teams, he was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be the best midfielder in the world, and uh, he I mean, was look, garbage. Nobody, nobody hits at a hundred percent. But like, I'd rather miss on Nabi Keita and hit on nine out of the other ten. Like, if if Nabi Keita is the one out of ten that I'm missing on, I'm fine with that. Okay. So, I, 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 yeah, you're no, sorry. Um, all this talk about United and the older players. Uh, maybe you want to look up who the expiring contracts are for midfielders. Your Tielemans, who a lot of fans have wanted to link us to, he is one of them. Uh, N'Golo Kante, who uh, is 31. No, he just signed an extension. He just, like, he just that signed was an, it. another bizarre move from Chelsea. He hasn't, he hasn't played a game this season. And they signed him to an extension. It, okay. I do not, like I said yesterday, the uh, job for whoever has the Chelsea job next year is about a hundred times more difficult than the job that Eric Ten Hag walked into. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, the other one is Adrian Rabio, who we've already, um, you know, gone through that discourse. Um, yeah. It, for me, uh, I've, I've, everything I read seems like Eric Ten Hag still wants Frankie de Jong. I think at this point we can kind of understand that if he can stay at Barcelona, he will, uh, because that's what he wants. And, um, there are reports that Eric Tanak likes Jude, Jude Bellingham, but at the price that he, you know, we'd have to pay for him. I don't or even think that they we'd have him. to pay for Frankie. Uh, we would need oh, the, if the financial situation to change like now. Oh, no. If it, I, I spoke about this with Suede last week and I like did the math and like ran the numbers. If it's between Frankie de Jong and Jude Bellingham, like you don't even look at Frankie de Jong. It's, it's about 70 million pounds cheaper to um to sign Jude Bellingham. And that's assuming that United like five X his wages. Like because yeah. you're not getting and, and that's and that was based on the assumption also. So like that like Jude Bellingham's wages would be that they'd five X his wages and get Frankie Dionk for the exact same wages. And like you're not getting Frankie Dionk to move from Barcelona without increasing his wages. <laughs> I think also we, it's safe to assume at this point that Jude Bellingham's trajectory is higher than what Frankie's has been over the last three to four years. Frankie's in the prime of his career. Jude Bellingham's 20. Like, yeah. Jude Bellingham's, if everything goes to plan, Jude Bellingham should be continuing to get better for the next five years. Frankie is going to be at this level for a few years and then he's going to start to uh, deteriorate ever so slowly. Yeah, I mean, Jude, I've watched Bundesliga more this year than I have in the last few years, and I've tried to watch Bundesliga a lot more over the past few years. It's way easier this year uh, because Dortmund are actually fun, and Jude Bellingham is a big reason why. Um, I don't think he offers... Should we sign that English winger? That Not Um, the next Jadon Sancho? (laughs) Well, he's 18 now, and he's just now breaking through at Dortmund, so... Uh, given past Dortmund players that moved He's keeping on. keeping Gio Reyna out of the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think in three years is when Dortmund are going to look to sell him. But yeah, I mean, I I would, I'd cut off my hand for Jude Bellingham to sign for Manchester United. He's incredible. Um, I I think, you know, potentially Liverpool is a better fit for him. Um he he's not the kind of Mark Mark just perked up. <laughs> he's not he's not the same midfielder as Frankie. And if that's you know the kind of tempo setter, ball carrier that 
Eric Tenog wants, he'd have to do some work with Jude Bellingham. But but the question like, is, is like that, what, said, he's is that what you want now? Like that was what Eric Tenog yeah. wanted to build around. But then you went and signed Casemiro, which changes things because you weren't trying to sign Frankie Dude, Young and Casemiro. Jude Bellingham as a balance signed... to Casemiro would be better, I think, than Frankie. Yeah, I mean, but like to go back to Mark's original question, like, what do we do if we don't get one of these? I was like, I don't know, because we don't seem to have backup. Casemiro is like the first backup option that we've ever had. And even that was like 30 years old and like, hey, just get like the best one in the world. Yeah, the logic behind um, that seemed very basic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, 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 why not? Like, Ajax were holding us over the, whatever the expression is, regarding Anthony, and we were like, well, it's not like we have a second option. Like, it was, uh, Lori Whitwell of The Athletic was like, Cody Gakbo is a is an alternative, and I'm like, but he's not, because he's a left winger, and we are, we are specifically looking for a right wing. Like, just, if we label them all as attackers, that's how you end up in these awful situations that we kept being in, where we kept signing these guys to play the same position. Um but like, yeah, it just doesn't seem like United have alternate. The last time we signed like a alternate player, I mean, two summers ago when we brought in Donny Van de Beek instead of Grealish or Madison, and we brought in Alex Tellez instead of Sergio Reguilon, and like those are two of the worst players we got in the squad. I didn't even know um, Van de Beek was still there. He's hurt, but yeah, yeah. he like tore he tore his ACL in December. He, yeah, it was like a bad tackle. He he got it was one of those like you don't like to see it injuries and like unlucky, but at the same time he has been just awful. Yeah, I do wonder uh, if that didn't happen whether we signed Sabitzer. Um, and I think Sabitzer is probably a better you know starter ready player than Donnie is because Donnie you have to deal with. Not just like, what do you do with him? Because you're not really sure what he offers. But I mean, the confidence o- over the last year, I mean, not just his rotten luck, but his bad play. I mean, that's that's stuff you have to work with as a manager that's more than just, you know, X's and O's on the training pitch. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I would say you would think so because uh, it's not like Eric Tenog was using Donnie Van de Beek deeper. And he knows, and if anybody knows what kind of player Donnie is, it's Eric Tenhog. But at the same time, like you sign Marcel Sabitzer, and then somehow yesterday, 55 minutes into a game that's getting out of hand, and you went, We need to change something. Went, I'm going to leave Sabitzer on my bench and bring in Scott McTominay. Well, do you think that was just like, you know, the manager doesn't rate him and you could just throw him out there and just be like, Go ahead and try to kill somebody? And he did. You just can't even do that. The how Scott McTominay never gets a red card is beyond. It's dark magic, is what he uses. Um, <laughs> I just think I just think referees feel bad for him because he's clearly not a footballer. But he's not like getting. It's not like Hannibal last season where Andre Mariner was true. like, was yeah. like, bro, you're 18, and I'm gonna cut yeah. you a break here. But like, if you were any other player, I'd be sending you off right now. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, look. Marcel uh, Sabitzer touched the ball like significantly more, uh, not significantly more, but more than McTominay. He was he got more passes, and he played less than half the time. Um, it, it's just, and Ten Hag. It's like the first time Ten Hag's used McTominay as a midfielder off the bench in a long time. Usually, he brings him in as like a striker or like a number ten because I think it's just like I like your energy, but I have no idea where I can use you and what you do around here because yeah like what are you good at you're good at making a late run into the box and what is it that you do here you have to figure out your thing (laughs) you make late runs into the box and like when the ball comes to you and you could first touch smash it or get your head on it you're good but otherwise like when you're in midfield and liverpool did it like liverpool did it city did it last year they just pick on you like they're like hey if you if if Scott McTominay is marking you, just walk away, and eventually he's gonna forget about you, and like that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Or if he has the ball, just be like, okay, what are you gonna do? Right. I mean, like I said, that sixth goal, um, Scott McTominay never even bought. He's right next to Mo Salah, and he never even bothered to pick him up. And like, if you watch the clip back, it's hilarious how disinterested he is, and it it's just like I get the starters who were dealing with this for 70 minutes being frustrated. You came off the bench down three nil. Like, how are you quitting? Do you think like, 
Do you think the manager is culpable for that at all? Yes. I thought okay. I, one of the things like um, the, the athletic ran this like huge article today on Bruno Fernandez, where they documented like all the times he whined and everything. Wow. Like, like I said, That's Bruno gross. Fernandez had a terrible game and Bruno Fernandez has a history of this, of like, and he pushed a referee too, which was kind of insane. And this, uh, like, I've said when I've said three years ago, like Bruno probably shouldn't be the captain because he has a history of in the first five minutes of the game, if things don't go his way, he complains. And then that's, that's the only thing on his mind. He complains about everything and he plays like crap because that's what he's thinking about. And like, frankly, the same thing happens to me when I play sports. If like, if I think <laughs> I've been fouled early on and now I'm mad at the ref, I think everything's a foul. I get mad at the ref and I play worse. Um, but everybody else is like, he should have the armband that like one game doesn't change that. And I, and look, this, this is something that's been obvious, but Solskjaer insisted on giving him the armband when McGuire wasn't there. Ragnick did. Um, Ten Hag didn't hesitate to do it. So clearly they've all said the good outweighs the bad. And one game does not change that. But like what I was saying to my friend was everybody is looking to point fingers after this game, because nobody wants to point fingers at Ten Hag and Ten Hag was really bad. He got that's his tactics wrong from the jump. Um, I mean, Jurgen Klopp basically did his homework and knew exactly how he was going. That's why Harvey Elliott started. You were like, I was shocked that Harvey Elliott started. Yeah. Like, he didn't He didn't start Harvey Elliott because he was like, oh, I want your legs in there. He started Harvey Elliott because he's like, I'm going to use you in a very specific way because this is how United play and this is how we're going to exploit it. And you're the guy to do that. And he knew exactly how he was going to attack United and the first half, like when, when United fans were like, oh, it was pretty close. And like, we had the better of the chances. And I was like, yeah, but Liverpool were doing the same patterns over and over and over. And it was just a matter of, they didn't execute it until the final one. And they, they got that goal, but like they could have gotten a bunch more. They weren't executing that. That's not United shutting them down. That's Liverpool not executing. And at halftime, Ten Hag made no changes and boom, the game goes out of hand very quickly. Um, I thought he and had- I think- I think Klopp knew that was going to happen too. I think he knew that he could ha- he could set them up in the first half and just try this thing, and it came off, you know, pretty beautifully, I might add. But he knew he could get to halftime at, you know, 1-0, 0-0, or God forbid, even 1-0 down, and he knew he could win the game from halftime. But that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah. It, it, when you're starting like Weghorst as the 10, you're not – saying we're going to take this game to them. You're saying our goal is to like disrupt you and not let you do things. And United really weren't doing that. And this is very similar to the Arsenal match where it was, again, a choppy first half. Arsenal did not play that well. And Mikel Arteta made made uh, changes, made adjustments at halftime, and Eric Ten Hag did not. And the second half was the same way that like 7-0 was probably not, like this is probably... It's a little out of hand. This probably was like a four or five nil match. The Arsenal match three, two should have been four, one, five, two. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it goes both ways. Uh, and it, it, when everybody says, Oh, like you just got beat. It's a bad day at the office. Like it was a bad day for Eric Ten Hag, And that happens sometimes. What's concerning yeah. is that this is the third time United have conceded four, plus goals in a half this season, which is not something that had happened in previous years. This is the third time they've gone to a top six opponent this season. They've only done it four, four times. This is the third out of four games. They've gone away to a top six team and gotten played off the park. And the only other, the only time it didn't was when they played a terrible Chelsea team. Um, And this is, you know, there's so many similarities between the Brentford and Manchester city matches here that it's fair to be like, well, wait, why is this still happening? That's the concern of like, because they got played off the park by Manchester City. They came back at home and played a remarkable game. Fantastic game plan. They knew exactly what they were doing and it shut City down. They had control of that whole game. And then two weeks later, they went to Arsenal and, or a week later, they went to Arsenal and like basically said, we're going to play completely differently and got, and got destroyed. And it's like, why is that happening? it seemed like he learned and then you made the choice the next week. And that's the one concern is this is three times. That's a lot. Like it happened once. And it's also, it's also Liverpool. 
Yeah, Which it happened think, once. And it's with, also seven zero. It happened once with Ronaldo. It happened twice without him. Like you can't say it's Ronaldo. It's now mm-hmm. happened with and without Casemiro. So you can't say, oh, well, they didn't have Casemiro in those games. Like it's 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 happened with all these different things. Three times now, like you can't write the other two off as outliers. It's like no, this is the this is the trend, and that's what really that's what really needs to be addressed going forward. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other things you wanted to talk about college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That I'm trying to think of now. Uh, we are coming up on an hour though. So I wanted to, yeah, Polly's going to have to go soon, but um, Mark, I did want to ask, I mean, just going forward with Liverpool season, I know there's still a chance in the Bernabeu. I mean, you guys have come back from three goal deficits in Europe before uh, pretty famously. Um, do you do you still have hope in in that competition, or are you still kind of set on okay, we're we're building ourselves back in the Premier League at this point? Uh I would never count out a Jurgen Klopp team uh, ever. I just I won't uh, because they've shown me, you know, time and time again. This because it's not just it's not just the Barcelona game. It's uh multiple. It's it's going ninety seven points and finishing second, and then the next year winning twenty six of your first twenty seven games. It's COVID happening. It's Virgil Van Dyke's injury, and it's an Allison header against West Brom to qualify for the Champions League. It's it's I think what we're seeing right now. When at one point we sat in eighth place, and now we're looking like. Um, I would say we're more likely to finish fourth than Tottenham where Newcastle is based on recent form. Um, It's just kind of like, it's his whole thing, right? With that said, I think, um, I think beating Manchester United 7-0 like we did on Sunday, as you saw, (laughs) uh, kind of makes, makes the Real Madrid game kind of like a whatever thing um and what what i uh what i want to kind of like the parallel i kind of want to make is uh in 2019 when the barcelona game happened if you remember the barcelona the obviously the first leg was 3-0 but what happened after that first leg is uh they went to newcastle and it was just a very nervy game and is that like the the 3-2 yeah, Fabinho scored a, a header late off of a off of a free free kick that gave Mosala the concussion that he got. Um, but winning that game meant the league was still alive. Obviously, they didn't go on to win the league, and they did go on to win the Champions League. Um, it kind of made the Barcelona game the second leg just sort of like we'll see what happens. It it took all of the pressure off. It took all of the pressure off that game. And I think if you know. Beating Manchester United 7-0 and then uh, hopefully beating uh, – there's an early game this Saturday against uh, Bournemouth. Um, He beat 9-0 earlier this season. Um, If they win that game uh, because they kick off before anybody else, if they win that game, they'll be – I think they'll be in fourth or they'll be level in points in fourth. Let me double check. Um. Yes, they will be level. They'll actually be ahead of Tottenham on points and goal differential, but Tottenham will obviously have to play their game. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll be if they beat basically if they beat Bournemouth, the Real Madrid game turns into just a sort of whatever, right? And it's a little bit of a bummer that it's the round of sixteen because I I I think if it were kind of later in the competition, the more confident I would be about sort of a result. Um, but I don't think that game really matters anymore and for to define this season because this Liverpool team has kind of clawed back their league position and that is sort of what the focus is. Um, so just kind of whatever can happen against Real Madrid. And Real Madrid are very good. I think that's like a thing that people don't really yeah, want to talk about. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know it's a lot of like um... – people who like to ascribe to the philosophy of football that revolves around Pep Guardiola, the kind of possession base, you know, pass the team off the park. And I get that because 
you know, uh, there's a lot of evidence to support that playing that sort of football is, you know, dominant. But in the Champions League, we've seen time and time again that it it takes more than that because Manchester yeah. City have been in these. Uh, I mean, Real Madrid didn't just beat Manchester City. Uh, they beat a possession-based Chelsea team. They beat a PSG team. And then they beat Liverpool in the final. Like, you don't win all of those games yeah. purely off of luck. And Liverpool were like amazing in the final and they 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 scored their one opportunity literally their one shot they took and they scored so the 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 real madrid this kind of iteration and i would even kind of say that this iteration of real madrid is sort of the same as ronaldo bales uh madrid that won three straight champions league titles <laughs> one against liverpool um there's there's sort of like one of the the sports, any sports, great, greatest teams. They're like Jordan's, uh, they're like Jordan's Bulls or Brady Belichick's Patriots, Steve Kerr, uh, Stephen Curry's Warriors. They just, they just win. And it kind of defies the logic. So that's why I think they'll probably advance just because (laughs) something happened in 2005 that Liverpool did to Carlo Ancelotti. (laughs) <laughs> and he's just decided to have revenge on them forever. And fair play, because he's definitely got the better of us since then. Yeah. Uh, we we have the memory and he's got the wins. So, because uh, he, he was even manager of Everton when they hurt uh, Virgil van Dyke. So that's fun to think yeah. about. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so I, I mean, yeah. his departure from Everton, though, has, uh, you know, helped put them in the position they are in now. So at least there's that for you guys. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, mean, I, yeah. I think he loves us. I, I just think he loves to beat us more. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what this is all about, isn't it? I mean, having those people that you kind of love to hate. It's like it's like it's weird how Sir Alex Ferguson is now buddy buddy with a bunch of the managers that he used to throw things at, you know? Well, like, yeah, like him and uh him and Kenny are really close now. Kenny yeah. yeah. And um it's just fu- it's just funny to think about cuz Yeah. I mean, uh, Busby and um uh Shankly went head to head for titles for like 5 years straight and they were best friends. I mean, yeah, you know, Buzzfeed played for Liverpool, though. That's yeah, that's true. He did. He also played for Manchester City. So, um, because there was like six teams back then. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's like all the Celtics titles that they have. When it's like, wait a second, who who was playing? Yeah. Anyways, sorry. I mean, hey, Hibs were pretty good in the sixties too. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll let you go, Mark. But thank you so much for talking to me. I'm sure you were really looking forward to it after the result. But um... Uh, I'd completely forgotten about it until you texted me. And for a second, (laughs) I thought you were joking. (laughs) But thanks for not joking, I guess. No, yeah. I mean, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I was hoping, uh, we mentioned on Friday, because the first time we recorded this year before the 2-1 win at Old Trafford, we had talked about kind of at the end, you know, Liverpool drawn to if they lose to Man United is this like the beginning of the end for this Liverpool team and going into the game obviously Liverpool had recovered and form a little bit but the way their season had you know they'd faltered a little bit a lot of United fans obviously hoped that this was the beginning of the end of this Liverpool team because a club that with you know less resources than City that can match that level of production each season I mean it just it makes it almost impossible for a team like United to try and crack into the top two. But um, it looks like at least for now they're here to stay um, and we'll have to deal with that. Yeah. And I think Liverpool's going to finish ahead of Manchester United this season in the league. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, there's, there's only what four point difference right now. And our goal differential is down to like point or plus six. Now I think it's set. It's seven points and your goal differential is plus six. But I th- I think yesterday simplified your season and you're a cup team this year. Yeah, it's just and 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 hopeful. Like I think it's hard to I think it's hard to come back from seven zero loss. Uh, yeah, just and they don't general. have they don't have a lot of time to uh, recover from that because they're right back to Thursday Sunday uh, this week. So 
Is is it a Europa League game on Thursday? Yeah, we have Real Betis, Real Betis at Old Trafford on Thursday, and then let me see what we got next in the league. Anyway, anyways, I yeah. like I just think it kind of simplifies your season in a way that uh, I just talked about our our season getting simplified um, because there was a lot of discussion about United maybe winning a title this year. However, sort of silly that that suggestion was it clearly kind of like got to the manager and the players by being in all four competitions uh you won one of them which was great uh by the way i think that colton's piece on the site was perfect and i still think it's true even though uh, mm-hmm. a few days after he wrote it the team lost 7-0 but you can, you have to take these steps and i've been on this journey so if there's like a little yeah. bit of like Liverpool advice to Manchester United is you can't you can't do it all at once. Um, you gotta you gotta beat Manchester City slowly, unless Manchester City gives you your manager and your striker, which appears to be the case with Arsenal. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and and also your left back slash midfield hybrid player. I, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, well, we have Southampton in the at Old Trafford as our next Premier League game. So if ever there You're was gonna, a chance yeah. for us to put up eight goals on someone, uh, you know, maybe relive our nine nil from a couple of years ago, I think they're the team that we can do that against. That would be funny. That would be very funny. Actually, I want to kind of see that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I would feel bad for Southampton doing that because it's like uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, they were always one of the bottom clubs that was more fun to watch and. Uh, to see that all kind of fall apart has been a little sad, but I do want to beat them 9-0. Your goal differential would be fixed. It would. It will it, fixed is relative. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. It, it was a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me.